Welcome back to the Dear Heart and the Brain podcast show, where we discuss general health, fitness, and science. This is the second to last part of the special micronutrient series, where I will be breaking down the fundamentals of vitamin and mineral metabolism so that you can better understand its mechanism and subsequent impact on your well-being. I know you're going to love this series, as I've been working on this initiative for quite some time now. Whether you're walking your dog, driving to work, or doing household chores, you're in for a wonderful adventure. I know we've previously chatted about vitamin D in another episode, but I want to go deeper about this fat-soluble vitamin, right? So start with foods that actually contain vitamin D, right? It's actually really limited, but the richest sources would be fatty fish, such as salmon and sardines, and also egg yolks. And in the U.S., like, fluid milk is voluntarily fortified with vitamin D, meaning that this Vitamin is actually added during the processing of the food that actually does not have vitamin D occurring. Thankfully, as you already remember, we can endogenously produce vitamin D when we're exposed to sunlight, which is like huge battery in the sky. The inner part of your epidermis abundantly produces 7-DHC, and this guy, right, 7-DHC, it absorbs ultraviolet photons, causing the transformation of your DHC in your skin to make vitamin D, right? And that process is because of like a thermal isomerization where the pre-vitamin D3 um, isom- gets a thermal isomerization of its double bonds to form vitamin D3, and it will translocate from your skin to your bloodstream and then your blood circulation. The skin-produced vitamin D3 will bind to a vitamin D binding protein and can be brought to chylomicrons to deliver. As a, fu- as a fat-soluble vitamin, its absorption patterns will follow that of cholesterol. And one thing to keep in mind is that the time of day, season, and latitude of where you are have dramatic effects of how the UVB radiation is reached to you. For example, in the winter, these UVB proto- uh, photons pass through the ozone layer at an oblique angle, causing many of it to be absorbed by the ozone layer. However, because UVB radiation has risks of um, including like skin cancer, which is something that we definitely want to avoid, right? We can thankfully satisfy vitamin D in our era of readily available fortified foods and supplements. When our body vitamin D is in our liver, it can hydroxylate to become 25-OHAs and then it converts into 25-OHD. And then there's this guy named Megalin that recognizes it because when it binds to the um, VDBP, VDBP is actually a ligand of the Megalin. And keep in mind that this 25-hydroxylase has no feedback regulation, so the plasma level of your 25-OHD level is considered the best measure of your vitamin D status. Right, that's at the liver. And after your liver, when the 25-OHD gets delivered to your kidneys, it will be converted by a really good friend, 1-alpha-OHAs, to its active form of 125-D-OH2-D, right? This is basically the form that um, will regulate a lot of calcium and, and phosphate metabolism. And whether or not 1-alpha hydroxylase is expressed depends on the stimulation of your parathyroid hormone, whose main function is to respond to declining plasma concentrations and to act to increase plasma ca- calcium. 
And when PTH signals one alpha hydroxylase to make the active form of vitamin D, the active form will actually increase the efficiency of absorption of calcium, as well as phosphorus, which we'll talk more about in the final episode, of course, by the intestine. Ah, so you see, there are these feedback loops that drive calcium levels in the blood. I know that this active form 125-OH2D, right, it'll activate osteoclasts um, to extract calcium from your bone to elevate plasma calcium when calcium levels in the blood are low. So we talked about this guy, VDBP, and this is the universal carrier of all forms of vitamin D. So it'll transfer the active form from the kidney to target tissues, and there's there's this experiment where um, VDBP were knocked out in mice, um, and it showed that only 10 to 15% of plasma vitamin D were available when compared to controls, which shows how this carrier affects levels of vitamin D in your blood, right? Pretty cool. So we know how to make vitamin D now, but how do we break it down? Simple. We just need our buddy 24 hydroxylase to do a hydroxylation reaction by either forms of vitamin D. And this breakdown is potently induced when there's a high concentration of vitamin D in your blood, by the way. So how can vitamin D impact genomic status? So vitamin D has a receptor called the vitamin D receptor, VDR, and it has a high affinity for the active form. And when they bind, it leads to these like mechanisms where vitamin D regulates various functions in your tissues. And um, basically, if you remember the RXR from the vitamin A lecture, the vitamin D and vitamin D receptor will recruit one of these RXRs and it will interact with co-regulatory proteins um, where the VDR will bind to its sites on genes that lead to changes in transcription regulation. And the VDR and active vitamin D ligand are found in target tissues of the intestine, bone, and kidney and are strongly linked to biological responses of increasing calcium absorption and enhanced bone mineralization. Let's take a look at two of them, right? So the best characterized gene products induced by the active form of osteoplasts have a central role in bone remodeling. And the major gene product induced by small intestine by the active form is called CAT1, which is this calcium channel protein that allows calcium to come into the cell. And the vitamin D receptor is present yeah, it's, it's it's present in many tissues that aren't even related to calcium and phosphate, too. Um, like, 3% of our genes, I know that may sound like a little, but it's pretty significant when it comes to, like, the VDRE in the promoter regions, which relate to how vitamin D can associate with proliferation, differentiation, and apoptosis. Um, and our good friend 1-alpha-OH-ACE, which makes active form of vitamin D, as you remember, is also found in different tissues um, around the cell, uh, around the body as well. One final thing that I want to leave you with is about the impact of aging on the capacity of our human skin to make vitamin D from the sun, right? This capacity, as you know, reduces by 75% by age 70 years compared to younger adults. And there's such thing called vitamin D toxicity, although it's kind of difficult to achieve. Um, when this happens, your liver has way too much 25-OHD and it lacks the feedback regulation, which leads to hyper calcemia and when that's left untreated it can be very lethal well my friend that's all i have for you today in our episode about vitamin d and the roles in the body if you've enjoyed this episode i know you're gonna love the finale series of this micronutrient multi-series and multi-episode series 
and I hope that it will continue to be a transformative ride full of scientific excitement and curiosity that will last you a lifetime. I'm going to leave you with the same message I leave you in every single one of our Dear Heart in the Brain podcast episodes. Keep that brain sharp, keep that heart healthy, and go dominate. Thanks so much for your time and attention today. And above all, thanks for your interest in science. Thank you.